The following is a sermon from Pastor David Salinas of Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. The season of song is a season of wonderful, wonderful surprises. Think about just a few. There goes a young peasant virgin about the age of a modern-day middle schooler, ninth grader, freshman in high school, going about her daily tasks, when surprise, suddenly she finds herself in the presence of the holy angel Gabriel. And he delivers to her a message that is even more unbelievably good than the one that he delivered to old pastor Zechariah six months earlier. My dear, you have been undeservedly favored by the mighty God, and you will spontaneously conceive and give birth to him. And then surprise! Something as miraculous and as wondrous and as marvelous and as incredible happens as God becoming man, God taking on human flesh and the virgin conceiving, Mary believes it. May it be to me as you have said. And then her Holy Spirit-filled heart bursts into that revolutionary song of faith. My soul glorifies, my soul magnifies the Lord, making him as great and big and beautiful as he truly is to the hearts of all. And then, and then comes that gasp-inducing, hand-over-mouth surprise to end them all. When the virgin gave birth in that dirty stable, a holy given to us. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then surprise, the hills around Bethlehem are suddenly alight with a gajillion watt flood of heavenly glory, and the hills are, yes, you got it, they are alive with the sound of music. But surprise, the angels do not sing to their newborn Lord or even to his mother, but to some shepherds who are living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And surprise, the angels are happy. They rejoice. If, if you or I had a loved one who was well-to-do, who owned cars and homes, and went from owning cars and homes to being penniless and rummaging through the dumpster, you and I would weep, right? But these angels see the God whom they adore, the one who blew stardust into the sky, the one whom they have to take one of their own wings as a, as a sun visor to hide from their heavenly glory, to shield their eyes even from his bright glory. They see this mighty, great, awesome God being pushed out of a birth canal and, and being wrapped in strips of linen like a tiny little mummy and then placed into a sheep dish. 
needing mother's milk to stay alive and her tender hands to change his diapers, and they're happy. Why? Because the angels recognize that God becoming so lowly has become just the perfect Savior to you and to me. And then the song, Gloria in Excelsis. What wonderful surprises are ours this Christmas season. And you know what I say? You know what I say? Keep them coming. Oh, for just one more surprise like that. What I wouldn't give to give my mother a hug one more time. What I wouldn't give for one more surprise of Christmas. Just like one of those. You see, we have entered a new season of life and of ministry. It's 2019, and as a nation, already this year, tender as it is, like, like baby Jesus, like, like Jesus in Luke chapter 2, still in its infancy this year it is, still in its infancy, still smelling baby fresh, but as a nation, what uncertainties are around us as we contemplate a wall going up. And here is the congregation, what uncertainties as we contemplate a wall, that one. Coming down. And how are these and endless other unknowns and mysteries going to shake out? How is it all going to pan out? I don't know. If God gives us the strength and the life, we will cross those bridges. But boy, it sure would be nice to venture that next foot forward into the uncertain future, holding in our hearts and in our hands those wonderful, bright surprises of Christmas that just keep your spirit alive no matter what happens. Well, color me surprised, because today is January 6th, and it's more than just the obvious, more than just the sixth day of the new year. For us right now, well, for the, for the Christian world, it is epiphany. And for us in the Western church, today is the 12th day of Christmas. You know what that means? That means that the season of wonder, the season of surprise, isn't over. Not quite yet. And on this day, with our Christmas tree still up and the nativity still beside us, and our wreath with the Christ candle aglow in its full-blown glory, and with the drum roll, please, of 12 drummers drumming, surprise! There are actually three in store for you and for me. Are you ready to open up those wrappings and get into these gifts? Open up your worship folders. Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. 
In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. There is a tiny little word in Greek that is left untranslated in our English. And this tiny little word in Greek helps bring out before us an amazing point of this whole history of the Magi. The point that it should never have happened in the first place. The little Greek word sounds like this. Perk your ears up. Idu. Idu. The old King James had the habit of translating that word. Behold. You and I, for our purposes on this day, let's translate idu this way. Surprise! How on earth? Okay? I, I say that because these magi, these Eastern scholars, somehow, some way, looked up into the night sky and saw this new astronomical phenomenon, and they knew that that new star in the sky was his star. Somehow, they had come to know that the king of the Jews, who was also their king, had been born. Now, I'm going to ask you, how on earth did they come to know that? Because the king of kings, though he is as glorious as glorious can be, did not come into this world in a flash. He was not born to some queen or to some wealthy socialite like Paris Hilton, but to a poor peasant girl. Born not in some ancient New York City of the time, an Athens or a Rome or even a Jerusalem, but in Podunk, Bethlehem, a town that an Athenian or a Roman might say, Bethel, Bethel who? I never heard of that. And it is this glory of Christ, the glory of the Christ child, hidden beneath so much lowliness and so much frailty that even though the shepherds on Christmas Eve are doing their Paul Revere and running through the streets of Bethlehem announcing the news, he is born, he is born to us, even though 
Anna and Simeon in the temple in Jerusalem proclaim that the consolation of Israel has come and hold that one baby in their arms, it doesn't seem like anybody outside of that little group even recognizes or knows it, right? Because we don't hear of any of the Bethlehemites looking up into this night sky and seeing his star and then coming with their best gifts to worship him. And yet these Gentiles who live literally a thousand miles away, they do it do. Surprise. How on earth? And we're only scratching at the surface of the mystery. Because we have to recognize this about these magi. They were not just in a time and in an experience where the holy God's visit to this world was covered beneath a blanket of humility and frailty. But like the rest of humanity, the Magi too were covered underneath that thick blanket that the prophet Isaiah described and painted as a blanket of thick, thick darkness, the kind you can almost feel, the darkness of unbelief. And that darkness it oozes out of Herod, out of much of Jerusalem, and even out of the pastors in Israel, doesn't it? Because when Herod hears the news from the Magi, ironic as it is, that the people who have the promises of God right there have to be evangelized by Gentiles a thousand miles from their home. When Herod hears that news that the baby king, the king of the Jews, has been born, how does he react? Does he burst out into songs of praise, songs of the season? Does he, does he sing, and, and do the people of Jerusalem sing with all of their hearts with praise and, and joy? No. They are disturbed. And it's like, it's like Herod's anger has been churned by this news, and he's already planning the murder. And the people of Jerusalem, they know what kind of a madman he is, and so they're just saying to themselves, what are we in store for now with this nut? And, and, the, and the pastors of Israel, they know the word of God to a T, don't they? Because when Herod asked them, where is the one who is to be born king of the Jews? Where is this promised Messiah to be born? There's no hesitation. There is no, can we get back to you on that, Herod? There's just like, like this instant, like buzzing in of a Jeopardy champion. Ah, what is Bethlehem of Judea? Even though the pastors of Israel know that the baby child, the king, is going to be born in Bethlehem of Judea, and they have just heard the news that he's been born in the king of Ju in, in Bethlehem, what don't they do? What don't the religious leaders of Israel do? They don't run full speed with their best gifts and their praise to the child. Why not? Because even though they have the word of God and know it by memory, by heart, they don't believe it. That is some thick darkness, man. That is some thick darkness. And, and when these magi come to, to Jerusalem and to Herod, and they are confronted with all of this ignorance, all of this blindness, all of this fear, somehow they are not discouraged. They don't say, fellas, I think we might have got this wrong because his own people don't even understand that this happened. They don't even believe it. And when they find the child, this king, 
In such lowly garb, they are not offended by either the lowliness of the child or his mother, but they instantly bow down in worship and give their best gifts to their king in worship of him. It do. How on earth does that happen? Please, somebody tell me. Goodness gracious. But you know what's even more to do? Do you know what's even more shocking, even more surprising than that? You think there's... That you and I have seen his star. You and I don't live just... We live a lot farther than 1,000 miles from Jerusalem and Bethlehem. More than that, we live more than 2,000 years removed from when all of this took place. And, and your physical eyes have not and will not see that star, and, and they will not lay hold of that child Jesus running around like a little toddler holding onto mama's knee. But here you are. Here I am. And we are here to worship him. And we have not come empty-voiced or empty-handed. We have come with hearts full of worship and even wallets full of worship and praise as we are preparing to give our own offerings to our king. But, but wait a minute. Is it not true that you and I were not born underneath the thick, black darkness of unbelief? It is most certainly true. It is most certainly true, and that darkness, it seeps out of us. It oozes out of us at times. Like Israel's pastors, we have the word, and we know it. And yet, despite having that word and knowing it, knowing what the word says, that the Christ child's will for our life is to be an imitation of his in love, in purity, and in goodness, and yet, we can't help it. Sometimes our hearts churn with that Herod-like rage and anger inside because somebody has dared to get in the way of my plans and what I want. And I am just so fed up and frustrated And even though the new year has started, we can't forget those hurts of the past. And letting go sometimes is just as impossible as trying to let go of an electric fence. And we harbor in the depths of us that bitterness that eats away at our soul. And we look out about us and we live our lives, sometimes under the blindness of the promises of God and the fear and the disturbing in our heart that goes on. But despite that darkness, here you are. The cloud has not covered you and swallowed you and suffocated you. Here you are to praise the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Most High God wrapped in lowly, humble human flesh. How could that be? It do. Surprise. Because, surprise, your God truly loves you that much. 
And so in His great love for you, the Heavenly Father worked faithfully behind the scenes to make sure that your eyes and that mine have seen the light of the glory of Christ. And so the Heavenly Father, even already here in the time of the Magi, He, he worked furiously behind the scenes to thwart Herod's and Satan's plan to murder the Christ child before that Christ child has an opportunity to grow up and give the sacrifice of our salvation. And so in this tactical blunder, I mean, it must have been this thing where God gave Herod over to a senior moment. For whatever reason, Herod does not do the most obvious thing. He wants to murder the child. He does not send either spies or, sol or uh, soldiers with the Magi to find out the location of the child so that he can end him and snuff him out right then and there. That's the most logical thing to do. Anybody with half a brain would do that. He doesn't. Why not? Because God is working behind the scenes because he loves you that much. He loves me that much. He is going to ensure that this baby child who was wrapped in strips of linen at his birth and placed into a wooden manger, would one day grow up and have his body taken down from the wooden cross and swaddled in strips of linen for burial because he has come to justify you and you have been forgiven by the blood of the Lamb of God who has made flesh for you and for me. And God has worked through all of those 2,019 years of New Testament history to ensure that your ancestors and my ancestors and, and the people before us saw the light of Christ and then, and then shared and shined that light of Christ into our lives. And, and just before Satan, that dread dragon with his tail going back and forth and his glinty teeth ready to chomp you and all of the drool coming in because he's going to devour you, just before that happened, the Lord Jesus worked in your life to scoop you up and carry you into his arms through the waters of baptism. And there he saved you. There he filled you with his Holy Spirit. There you have seen the light of Christ, and here you are in do. Wow. Surprise. That's, that's gift. That's a gift for you. You know what that's like? That's like a girl who is deeply in love with a prince. And she's just yearning for him to kind of pop the question, but she doesn't know it. And it's beyond her wildest dreams and hopes. And he couldn't, he couldn't do it. And all of a sudden, this prince comes up and drops on his knee and breaks open that box and, and wow, that diamond ring, and pops the question. That's the kind of surprise of our salvation. And, and, and then it's just epiphanies full of them because now all of a sudden comes this beautiful surprise. That those people who have seen the star of Christ, instantly, inextricably, in turn, become stars themselves. In the way that Paul said, he said, you shine like stars in the darkness of a crooked and depraved generation as you hold out the word of truth. And we see this grace to be the shining stars on both sides of the visit of the Magi. So I want to go back to that question. How did the Magi know that the star in the sky was his star. How did they, they make the one-born king of the Jews their king? Because God worked in Old Testament history to ensure that some of those Old Testament people received the same grace that Paul received, that he talked about receiving in that second lesson. The grace to preach to the Gentiles the boundless, unsearchable riches of Christ. And through that preaching, somehow these men, these magi, had come to know and to believe in their Savior. 
And here they come to Jerusalem, and now it's their turn to be these shining stars. And they come, and they don't ask the question, has, has a king of the Jews been born? But where is the one born king of the Jews? In other words, a king, a savior has been born to you. Where is he? This grace, this grace of being these, these beautiful, beautiful feet running down the hills and the mountains proclaiming that great good news of the Savior's birth, this grace of being what Daniel says, people who shine like stars forever and ever as they lead people to righteousness through the proclamation of the gospel. This grace, it, it, it repeats itself like Mary said, from generation to generation. And I want to just share with you this one. Do you guys know who John McCain is, former Senator John McCain? This is what he wrote in his journey to faith. When I was a prisoner of war in Vietnam, my captors would tie my arms behind my back and then loop the rope around my neck and ankles so that my head was pulled down between my knees. I was, open, uh, I was often left like that throughout the night. One night, a guard came into my cell. He put his finger to his lips, signaling for me to be quiet, and then loosened my ropes to relieve my pain. The next morning, when his shift ended, the guard returned and retightened the ropes, never saying a word to me. A month or so later, on Christmas Day, I was standing in the dirt courtyard when I saw that same guard approach me. He walked up and stood silently next to me, not looking at or smiling at me. Then he used his sandal foot to draw a cross in the dirt. We stood wordlessly looking at the cross, remembering the true light of Christmas, even in the darkness, the thick darkness of a Vietnamese prison camp. It do. You would never in a million years expect a Vietnamese prison guard to see and to shine the light of Christ. But you know what else you would never expect? You would never expect a little mission congregation from a rather lowly and humble confessional Lutheran church body to plant a mission in the greatest city of our nation and for it to go. Wouldn't expect it. This mission should never have gotten off the ground. And it should have been defunded years ago. But here we are, just about 20 years later. And we keep going. And we keep shining. And dozens of people have become magi, wise unto salvation, through the shining stars that are sitting here before me this morning. And there's two more, one more shining star being added to us this morning as well. And more are on their way. God is blessing us here, truly, in amazing ways. It do. Surprise. Let's close it off with just one more thing. Tie the bow. Last surprise for you. A gift just for your heart. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, does he not? In other words, God owns everything, right? Everything is in his disposal at his. And yet, he delights to receive our gifts almost with appreciation and praise and just this, wow, this heartfelt thank you, just like a, a little child giving a gift to mom or dad and mom or dad just aglow with, with thanksgiving and, and uh, appreciation. And even though God doesn't need the gift, even though God himself owns everything, 
he accepts it as if it was the, just the thing that he needed, and he uses each and every gift for his plan and salvation history as if, as if he couldn't do it without it. And so here come these magi, and they give their gold and their frankincense and their myrrh to the baby king, the, in, the toddler king, and Jesus accepts it and uses their gifts for his saving glory because those gifts no doubt became instrumental in enabling Joseph to pick up his Mary and his Savior and flee to Egypt in the war by the warning of the angel to escape Herod's murder and wait out his death so that the Savior could be the, be the Savior King that he was born to be. And let me tell you this. Every penny that you and I put in that offering plate not only gets tracked by God and received by him with thanksgiving, he uses that for the saving glory of bringing the light of Christ to many lives as if he couldn't do it without you. It do. May these three gifts, the gift of the grace of seeing the star of Christ, the grace of shining like stars, shining the bright glory of the bright morning star into the darkness of the world for its soul's salvation, the gift of being an instrumental, an integral part of salvation history. Flood your heart with the song of the season. And may these beautiful, beautiful gifts of your king just for you make 2019 in Christ Jesus a very, very good year.